Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This is a companion podcast to my Fox Nation special, Riddle, The Search for James R. Hoffa. Be sure to go to foxnation.com to watch the whole show. And now, Riddle, the podcast. We cannot engage directly or indirectly in management of a labor union. Disappeared from the site here at the Marcus Red Fox restaurant. The FBI is up against the stonewall in their investigation. Intensive investigation into his disappearance. Hi, I'm Eric Sean, and welcome to Riddle, the podcast. My in-depth conversations with those involved in our Fox Nation special, Riddle, the search for James R. Hoffa, and my Fox News reporting. Thanks for listening. For the next 21 minutes or so, you'll hear from David Ashenfelter. David was a venerable, legendary reporter for the Detroit Free Press. He covered Jimmy Hoffa and his disappearance going back decades. David earned two Pulitzer Prizes. He is the epitome of an investigative reporter, if there ever was one. But first, let me get you quickly up to speed. Jimmy Hoffa, he disappeared on July 30th, 1975, from the parking lot of the Marcus Red Fox restaurant in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. It was believed he was headed to a meeting with Detroit mob boss Anthony Tony Jack Ciacalone and New Jersey Genovese captain and Teamster official Tony Tony Pro Provenzano. Well, in 2001, Buffalino crime family member and Teamster official Frank Sharon, an admitted mafia killer, he told me he shot Hoffa in a house in Detroit. I met him as part of his proposed biography, which became the book, I Heard You Paint Houses. In 2004, we went to that house. We pulled up the tiles on the hardwood floor, and we actually found blood. The pattern fit Sharon's story precisely. The greatest amount of the possible evidence was in front of the foyer closet door, where Sharon says Hoffa hit his head on the floor. Seven drops went down the hallway to the kitchen where Sharon says Hoffa's body was dragged out by two accomplices and was cremated. The FBI did find blood. They said one drop was inconclusive in terms of a DNA match. Another one was to an unknown male. There was no match to Hoffa, which is why I am calling on the government to release all of the Hoffa FBI investigation files fully now. Let the Hoffa family and the American public know what's been secret for so long and that we have been denied knowing and retest the blood evidence we found using the latest DNA technology. David Ashenfelter agrees. Now, David Ashenfelter. Dave Ashenfelter, you are a Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter, twice, basically. You have done enormous work on this case, and because of you, a lot of the material came out from the uh, Freedom of Information Act request when you were with the Detroit Free Press. Tell us about that, and should the FBI files, do you think, be released now fully? Well, let me do the second one first. Absolutely, the files should be released fully. If the, if the uh, FBI was ever going to solve this case or had 
or was going to bring any arrests, it would have done so years ago. The, the case is over. Um, we received a heavily redacted set of documents. It filled, uh, I want to say that it filled uh, two or three banker boxes uh, based on an FOIA request that we filed in uh, 2000. And um, we got, there were there were some nice tidbits there, but so much of it was redacted, it was a disappointment. So basically you had, you know, hundreds or thousands of pages. A lot of it was just blanked out and covered over. You know, what are they trying to protect? Well, they said they're trying to protect our investigation, but uh, we, we had argued that the investigation has come and gone. Uh, they should have, uh, well, should have, would have, could have. They didn't, they didn't arrest anybody. And they tried. I think they know basically what happened, but they just don't have enough evidence to bring charges. Do you think they're trying to, uh, you know, hide anything on their uh, on their end with their behavior? Because when we were out at the house in 2004, uh, the FBI tried to get to the house and beat us to to our story. Do you think there's anything that could embarrass them? Well, maybe. I I wasn't even thinking of that. I'm sort of thinking of the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark and. In the last scene of that movie, they took the ark and hit it in a government warehouse. That's what government does. It, unfortunately, it just hides things. And, you know, maybe there's an element of embarrassment here, but I, I think that uh, the circumstances of the case, it's just one they couldn't solve. What do you think the material would show if indeed it is made public? You know, I'm not entirely sure. I, I've always felt that the FBI's first instincts on this were the best. And in large measure because of what Ralph Picardo told them, um, which uh, we can talk about the scenario in a sure, moment. Sure, go ahead. Yeah. But, uh, essentially, I think uh, Hoffman went to a reconciliation meeting with two, two mobsters, and he thought he was going to have a reconciliation meeting with uh, Tony uh, Giacalone, who was a Detroit uh, mobster, and um, Tony Provenzano, who was a New Jersey teamster who was mobbed up. And they didn't show up. Some other folks did. Uh, he trusted them, got in the car. They drove him someplace, killed him, probably to the Beaverland location that uh, Fox News uh, found, and uh, got rid of his body, either at the Brother Moscato dump in uh, New Jersey or at a mob-connected um, incinerator here in Detroit. And if that material is made public, the Hoffa family wants that. Do you think that will bring any closure or any answers to this? I'm sure it'll bring some... Well, it's hard to know. Um, I think that... I think that... I think that um, it would help them get some closure. Um, but, you know, in cases like this, it's just, it's just hard to get closure. I think it still winds up being a mystery. That's where the difficulty getting closure comes in. Can you bring us back to Rob Picardo? He was an inmate in New Jersey. And as the story goes, the Andrettas come and, and, and he spills the beans? Yes. Um, the, two, uh, the two Andrettas show up uh, to visit him. He was, uh, he was uh, tied in with the Anthony Provenzano uh, group. He was in prison, and uh, the, the Andretta brothers went to see him shortly after the killing or the disappearance of Hoffa. Um, one of them told him what happened, um, and then uh, by November, so Hoffa disappeared on uh, July 30th, 1975. 
um, by November, Ralph Picardo was talking to the FBI and laid out the scenario. And he basically said these guys went to Detroit and uh, abducted and killed Hoffa. Now, Tommy uh, and Stevie Andretta, Stevie Andretta, we believe, died in 2000 of cancer. Thomas lives in uh, Las Vegas. He's in his 80s. We've reached out to him. He has not commented or responded so far. Uh, and uh, he did take the fifth before the grand jury uh, in, in 1975. Uh, that brings us to well, others. Let me stop you there for Go just ahead. a moment. Sure. And, okay, he's still alive, and so is Chucky O'Brien, uh, Hoffa's longtime pro- protege, who um, who denied driving Hoffa to his final destination. Um, you've got two people still alive, and I think that the FBI may be justifying keeping the file closed, in part because those two guys are still alive. But it's a long shot. Um, O'Brien said that he didn't have anything to do with it, didn't know anything about it, and, um, and Dredd ain't talking. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, also, they've been named publicly by the FBI in the Hoffex memo as suspects. Right, but the Hoffex memo initially really... W- the Hoffex memo wasn't widely disclosed um, for a long time. Stephen Brill got it when he did his book, The Teamsters, um, but he had pieces of it and a pretty good chunk of it. Uh, the whole thing didn't really come out until Ed Barnes, one of your former producers, um, opened up with uh, the whole Hoffex memo. Yeah, we have it in the... the free press. He, gra- he graciously gave the free press his unredacted parts and our our unredacted parts, we put it together and put it out there. And I think that's really the first time the whole thing was out there publicly. That's it. The Hoffex memo is in our our, uh, special riddle uh, on Fox Nation and and in our reporting on the Fox News Channel, which does name them, does name uh, Chucky O'Brien, who, by the way, uh, sources close to him tell me he does not want to talk. So we've reached out to him. Let's talk. Yeah, I'm not surprised. You know, some reporters have banged on his door. I'm, I'm sorry, knocked on his door over the years, and he's declined to talk about yeah. it. And he lives in a gated community in Florida, so it's one of those cases you can't, like, knock on his door now. Um, right. This gets us to Frank Sharon and our investigation, finding the blood pattern on the floor. Uh, what are your thoughts about Frank Sharon? Uh, we've been reporting on this for, for many years. Uh, and when his claims came up, well, Frank Sharon's a guy that uh, I think Hoffa would have trusted. He was a longtime friend and uh, loyalist and Delaware Teamster official, mobbed up, um, unfortunately, like many of the folks that uh, Hoffa knew. And uh, he, But he would have been a, a guy that uh, Hoffa would have felt comfortable getting in the car with. Oh, so would uh, Chucky O'Brien. Um, they were supposedly going to be driven to this reconciliation meeting. Um did Sharon do it? Well, there's a lot of speculations that he did. Charlie Brandt, you got a confession from him. Charlie got a confession from Sharon before he died that he did it. Um, I think some federal prosecutors disagree, but uh, we don't really know what cards they're holding because they've never really put them on the table. You you pointed out to the blood pattern, and, and it's... it's uh... Uh, very astute to say, you know, what are the chances of a blood pattern in a house that fits this story exactly? Well, exactly. And, you know, when the story came out that the st- uh, after you'd gotten the floorboards dug up and uh, or cut up and and analyzed, and the so there was blood on the floor, but it didn't show that it was Hoffa's blood, and I think a lot of people thought, oh, well, then it's over. It's not that house. No, it could very well be that house. 
Um, I think it likely is that house, probably is that house, and uh, on Beaverland where he was killed. But was Frank Sheeran there? Yeah, I think he was. Yeah. Do you think, you, you've said you thought he shot him, but, you know, they're really, between him or Sabagulio, how would you uh, sketch the scenario? You mean how it, exactly how it happened? Yes, in terms of Well, shooting. I think if, if Sheeran's correct, he did it the, the way that he told Charlie Brandon you. He walked in the door, got him to the house, walked in the door, um, and shot him in the back of the head when Hoffa apparently realized that there was no one there for the reconciliation meeting. And so um, different people uh, have different people in, the, in, in Hoffa's disappearance. Um, sometimes one of the, I think it's sometimes one of the Andretta's there, sometimes not. It's a different lineup, depending upon who you talk to. Um, but at any rate, shot him, uh, rolled him up, and I think it's very probable that it happened the way Charlie Brant described it through Sharon. Rolled him up in uh, either a carpet or some linoleum. Maybe a body bag. The linoleum was put down on the floor in the foyer where Sharon says he dropped the gun. Uh, the b- bodies dragged down the hallway. We found seven drops going down the hallway to the kitchen where the so-called cleaners were and may, may put him in a body bag and out the back door in a station wagon. Uh, and, and curiously, when we had our professional uh, uh, team with the luminol, which which detects blood, the presence of blood, they especially tested right at the linoleum where Frank said that was put down at the foyer door. There was nothing there. But the greatest amount uh, of evidence that we found was right on the right by the closet where Hoffa's head would have hit the floor after he was shot. Well, it makes sense. I'd sure like to know who that blood belonged to. Well, that raises the second issue. Not only are we calling for the release of all the files unredacted to get all the truth out there, but also retesting the DNA blood at at Quantico. Would you support the FBI retesting the floorboards based on the latest DNA technology that wasn't available back in 2004 when they took, took up the floorboards originally? I'd say yes. I'd say yes, because um, it would be nice to get some resolution to this. I, um those of us who have followed this case don't want it to wind up like Amelia Earhart. We never knew what happened to her when she tried to circumnavigate the globe in a plane and um, went down in the Pacific. We want some closure to this. And I think uh, this is one of those cases that um, Huffa was such a legendary labor leader that, uh, and his disappearance left so little closure that uh, a lot of us and the public still has a fascination about his disappearance. I mentioned that you've, you are a Pulitzer Prize winner for uh, uh, important investigations. What has this case been like for you? Because you have lived this. You uh, are in contact and close with the Hoffa family. What has this journey been like for you? Well, you know, every time we... Well, there have been about four or five Hoffa uh, digs, as I would describe them, uh, since I got involved in the case. Um, this was one of those cases that, as a young reporter, um, I really wanted to avoid because it was just so kind. Learning the Hoffa tale, learning about Hoffa, learning about the disappearance, learning about the cast of characters was so challenging. Um, I pretty much avoided it until um, it wound up, uh, the FOA cases wound up in federal court, and I was covering federal court. And it was at that point that I had to start climbing the Hoffa Mountain. Now, when you say FOA, you mean the Freedom of Information Act? Freedom of Information Act, Act. And yep. that And that was filed by whom? 
That was filed by the Detroit Free Press, but I will tell you that was filed by the Free Press in 2000. Uh, Barbara Krantzer, Hoffer's daughter, had filed an unsuccessful FOIA request in 1989. The Free Press filed one the next year. Both of them failed. And then uh, we filed another one in 2000, and that was the one that brought out the documents. And it was only because... It looked like the FBI had selectively leaked some details of the FBI report to our competitors at the Detroit News, and a judge uh, ordered them to turn over the entire headquarters file. Now, why, w- why would they do that? Uh, it's news competition. Um, who knows? Uh, maybe they were mad at us for trying to uh, get the files. Mm-hmm. So, um, you just never know. So what, so what happened then? You, uh, you went in in 2000 to get the files? We got the files. We got them like uh, a half a banker box at a time, and it went on for months. And uh, the difficult part, as I indicated earlier, was just there were so many redactions, it was hard to put the story together. Um, And we used for that uh, Dan Muldea, a Hoffa author out of D.C., very well known. Dan was our expert consultant. He would, uh, we'd go through the files every time we got them. We'd call him, and he'd help us figure out what we had. Yeah, he's in our, our program, Riddle, too, also. Uh, and he, he believes Frank Sherwin was there, uh, but he thinks the shooter was Salvador Guglio, who was a, a teamster from New Jersey, part of the Provenzano crew, and a, and a mob hitman. Uh, well, he could be right. We just don't know. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's this is p- part of what, why I want the files out and see who – like to know who the informants were. What did they say? How many people pinned uh, the blame on whom and who fingered uh, whom in order to, to, to get the, all the truth out? Then we can put it together. When you went to court and you started it back in, in, in 2000, how did this all then develop before we got in touch with each other in 2004? Oh, gosh. Well, it was just, you know, the free press, Detroit Free Press was, um, was covering Hoffa's disappearance when it ha- right after it happened. And so was the news. And the two newspapers were uh, fiercely competitive then. And um, they were just battling out for ownership of the story. And so was radio and TV. Um, it was crazy around here back then. And we had people out digging with uh, shovels in uh, fields. And everybody had an idea where he was, but nobody found him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've had these all these Hoffa digs since then. And... Uh, all unsuccessful. I think there have been about five. And the thing that, that, about Frank Sherman's story is he is one of the original suspects named by the FBI in the Hoffex memo. And no one else has uh, basically talked uh, right. except for denials. And that's what uh, distinguished him and, and makes him stand above everyone else in that he is the only original suspect who, who came out with this story. How do you feel about this whole case after all these years? We, we're we in touch. Sometimes it comes up and comes out, and, and there's still that fascination. It's like every five years something happens that brings the story to light again. Um, I, you know, after I got involved in it, there was, um, well, we started with, uh, we started with, um, Oakland County, they, they went up to Bay City and dug under a swimming pool because a prisoner had told him that was where Hoffa was buried. Uh, then you guys came to town and looked under the fl- and, and picked up, fl- cut, cut up the floorboards that were examined. After that, we, in 2006, there was a dig on a horse farm. The FBI went out to dig up a horse farm, didn't find anything. In 2012, Roseville Police, in, in, just outside of Detroit, um, 
bored a hole in a driveway where somebody said that Hoffa had been buried. And then in 2013, um, Zarelli, a mobster, a Detroit mobster, told the FBI that he was buried out in Oakland, Oakland uh, Township in Oakland County. They didn't find anything there either. So it's just like every so often something comes up, there's a new lead, and the FBI goes looking. Do you and think? They, and they never find anything. And do you think, you know, we'll, we'll, we're pushing to try to get everything released, everything out. Do you think that there'll be that, you know, what, what, does, what, what does there need to be, do you think, in order to, to say yes specifically? I mean, we have Frank Sharon's confession. We have the blood pattern that uh, is cooperation potentially of his confession. What, do, what next step do you think there needs to be done? What did the FBI know and when did it know it? That's what really we want to find out, and we may never get a we may never get precise um, a precise um, resolution to this case. But we'd like to know what the FBI knows. Exactly. What does the FBI know? Tell us. That's what we want. I think that's what the American public wants. I know the Hoffa family wants that. Exactly. And we'll be working on that. Um, David Ashenfelter, last thoughts on Jimmy Hoffa himself. I mean, he's this iconic labor leader. He's known for the disappearance, uh, you know, sadly for the family, the butt of jokes for years and years from Johnny Carson and everybody else. Um, an iconic but complex figure with uh, kind of a mixed legacy. Yeah, I mean, on one hand, he was one of the country's greatest labor leaders, clearly. His fatal flaw, and I understood why it happened, he let the mob into the union, and they got a hold of the Teamster pension funds and uh, never wanted out. Even after Hoffa went to prison and he came, he got out, was trying to get back in the union, they wanted him out. They wanted to keep their hands on the pension money. Um, the, the guy was different, though, than, uh, than Walter Ruther. Walter Ruther was the legendary labor leader of the United Auto Workers, and he never let the mob into the UAW. Um, Hoffa, on the other hand, let the mob into the Teamsters, and they just couldn't get rid of him. But the amazing part about Hoffa is just um, his the map of his life. I mean, he was uh, he was the son of a prospector, a coal prospector out of Brazil, Indiana. His dad died. He, uh, as a teenager, they family moved to Detroit. As a teenager, he got he went to work on the loading docks of the Kroger Grocery Company. Um, didn't like the pay, didn't like the treatment he was getting from uh, from his bosses, and started a, a, a strike. Got a settlement, went on to the Teamsters, and within a matter of years was up to the up to the was running the Teamsters. Unfortunately, during that time period, um, there was a lot of controversy, uh, controversy, and he drew the attention of Congress, and they spent a lot of time investigating, as did the Justice Department, before they finally nailed him. And they nailed him on jury tampering, fraud, and some other things. And uh, and he was sent to prison. And then Richard Nixon let him out. But apparently, uh, never told uh, never told Hoffa that there was going to be a commutation. There was going. He gave him the commutation, but never told him apparently that he was never going to allow him back into the union until 1980, which is when his sentence would have ended. He wound up serving nearly five years of a 13-year sentence. And uh, what got him killed, probably, was his determination to get back in the Teamsters and maybe to drive the mob out of the Teamsters. So, so finally, uh, in, in a sense, is his legacy the fact that he was seeking redemption? 
that he was trying to clean it up, and that... Uh, well, I'd like to think that. I'm not sure Dan Maldea, the D.C. Uh, Hoffa expert and author, I think he believes that Hoffa was bad news and continued to be bad news for the Teamsters. But you feel otherwise, that at the, at well, the end... Well, I, I always like to have happy endings, um, <laughs> and I like to believe the best of people. Mm-hmm. That he was trying to, at the end, drive out the same forces that he had brought in decades earlier, and that cost him his life. Exactly. Pretty it, amazing story. It really is. And we will continue. We have the call for the government to release all the FBI files so we can all read it and see what the FBI knows. David Ashenfelter, who says, what did the FBI know and when did they know it? That classic question, we want to find out and retest the floorboards with the new DNA technology. David Ashenfelter, Pulitzer Prize winning former reporter with the Detroit Free Press. David, as always, thank you. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for listening today. Check out all the other Riddle podcasts. You can also follow me on Twitter and Facebook. And just Google my name, put Frank Sherwin next to it or Jimmy Hoffa, and you can see the other articles we've written. And you can keep up with my reporting on Fox News. I'm Eric Sean. Thanks again for Riddle, the podcast. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.